Nice. Can you see that? Yeah. See, I could talk, call this talk, I could call this talk, turn the soil, turn the soil. That is the phrase that got caught in my head, and we will get to that later on. I could also call this talk, what I sense that God has been saying to me recently. Not as catchy, is it? Not as catchy. But how does, how does God speak to us? Where is this talk coming from? So let's get going on this. Let's get going with the, the markers. You, you see, we're talking roads here. Roads, roads, A roads, B roads, unmarked roads. Channels of communication that are open to God and for us in our lives. Roads, because if we're in relationship with God, then we need to be listening out for him. Trying to get clarity on what he is saying to us. How does God speak to us? For me, there are a number of different ways. They are like these A roads and, and B roads. So let's, let's draw me here. That's me. <laughs> could do a brain here as well. It's more like a phone, doesn't it? Maybe that is how God speaks to us. And then we've got these roads. We've got these, these A roads coming in. That's quite a, a large road coming in there. And we've got another one coming in there. And we've got a, a, a B road maybe coming down here. And a, another B road coming in here. And maybe there's one or two sort of unmarked roads coming in down the side here and down here. So how does God speak to us? The A roads, the A roads, what could that be? Well, for me, I think maybe an A road is, is prayer. Prayer, it's a, an essential road. Lots of traffic on this one here. So let's put prayer down here. Lots of traffic going on there where we're, where we're in a two-way conversation with God. We're, we're speaking and, and, uh, and God's listening and, and God's speaking and we need to be listening to what he's saying. We need to be open with God about who we are and what, what we're going through, what we're thinking, our questions, our, our concerns, our hopes, our, our dreams. And then another A road, that could be, say, preaching and preaching and teaching, preaching and teaching. An A road coming in there, preaching and teaching, where God speaks to us from a, an, a, an engaging and exciting communicator with immense knowledge of the scriptures and fabulous dress sense. <laughs> yeah. And then uh, another A road or a, a B road, doesn't matter too much, could be close friends, close friends, people who are, are with us on, on the journey. Through doing, through doing group or doing a one-to-one, that ongoing speaking into each other's lives. And the prophetic, the prophetic may come in here. Words, pictures, things that need to be considered by us, tested out by us over time. We're in a, a faith community here. We have responsibility for each other. People see things in us. People hear things from God for us that maybe we haven't heard yet. We've got responsibility for each other in this. This is where we grow up and and mature. This is where we disciple each other. Another road, another road could be, say, previous experience, something that you've been through before and you can look in the the rear view mirror. Either you got it right and you're going to do it like that again or you got it wrong and you're going to do it differently this time. And God, through his spirit, through his spirit, can remind us of all of that. Then there are 
other roads, these ones here maybe, unmarked roads, unmarked roads. God can speak and often does speak through music and films and the multimedia that is everywhere. The communication or the communicator may not be Christian, but God can use it. God can speak through it, although we have to see it for for what it is. An unmarked road, a a minor road that doesn't have the same access or the, the same authority coming into our lives. All roads, all roads, all channels of communication leading into our thinking, our listening out for God. But there's one more, one more road, one more road. What is that road? The motorway. So what do you think the motorway would be? The motorway speaking into our lives. The six lanes of traffic coming through here. The motorway that speaks into our lives here is the Bible. The Bible. The Bible is the motorway of God's communication into our lives. Six lanes of traffic's going in both directions. And it's what all the other roads run into. Reading the Bible, gaining understanding, spending time learning and memorizing and, and visualizing the teaching, the, the stories, the Bible it's got. It's got poetry in it and it's got motion. It moves us. And it is the Bible. It's the Bible that determines access. If another road isn't coming into line with the Bible, then it's denied. It's not allowed access onto the motorway, into our minds, into our hearts, into our lives where God communicates with us. And it's essential. It's essential that we're increasing our listening to God. Increasing our listening to God. And in my experience, God does most of his communicating on this motorway. It's what makes sense of everything else. And I don't know about you, but when I'm reading, every so often a, a chapter or a, or, a, or a verse will come out at me. I may read it then a, a number of times. Pray that the, the, the Spirit would give me understanding. Call it revelation maybe. Something that I, I didn't have before. And it happened like that. It happened like that some weeks back. And this is our first connection with the Bible. I was reading through the, the Gospel of Luke. Events were, were moving on and I was in Luke chapter 13. Jesus was among the crowd, facing questions, dealing with religious arguments, all very familiar to Jesus. And the people were talking about what now seems strange to us. You see, there were these Galileans and, and Pilate had uh, mixed their blood with the, the sacrifices. Pilate may have killed them because he thought that they were rebelling against Rome. And Jesus asked the crowd if these Galileans were, were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they had suffered in that way. And Jesus went on. He, he told about another incident about 18 people that had died when the tower in Siloam fell on them. They may have been working for the Romans on an aqueduct there. And he asked if they were more guilty than all the others in Jerusalem. Both times in answer to his own question, Jesus said, no, no. 
they were getting caught up with irrelevance when eternity was resting there. And he went on. He went on and said, unless you repent, you too will perish. Strong language. But then, then Jesus moved it into a parable. A parable. Something more subtle. Something more visual. And it's that parable. That parable that I'd like us to read. So that's in Luke 13. Starting in verse 6 and going through to verse 9. Jesus said, A man had a a fig tree planted in his vineyard. And he went to look for fruit on it, but did not find any. So he said to the man who took care of the vineyard, For three years now I've been coming up to look for fruit on this fig tree and haven't found any. Cut it down. Why should it use up the soil? Sir, the man replied, Leave it alone for one more year. And I'll dig round it and fertilize it. If it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, then cut it down. What got me? What got me when I was reading this parable was what the fig tree was growing in. The soil. The soil and and the phrase, turn the soil. Turn the soil caught in my head. Then there was a, a second connection. A second connection into the Bible that came with the Apostle Paul and his letter that was written to the church in Corinth. Paul sounded worked up with them. They seemed to be setting the leaders uh, against each other, claiming that that one leader, that one leader was better than the other. So he challenged them. He, He questioned their understanding of God's work in their lives, where growth came from. In 1 Corinthians 3, verses 5 to 9, Paul wrote, What after all is Apollos, and what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe, as the Lord has assigned to each task. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God made it grow. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The man who plants and the man who water have one purpose and each will be rewarded according to his own labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. The first connection into the Bible with Jesus and the fig tree not bearing any fruit, the gardener coming, not wanting to cut it down, digging around it, fertilizing it for one more year. Now the second connection is with the letter to the, to the Corinthians. We have Paul and, and Apollos and the seed. The one that planted, the one that watered. And we've got God making it grow. And us as God's field. These two scriptures are soil based in the pictures they use. They are soil based. Soil based in their approach to discipleship. Soil-based. How they describe it. How they see growth coming. Being dug around. Being fertilized. Looking for fruit. Being planted. Being, being watered. How, how, how God makes it grow. And I've got this revelation. It isn't original to me. Jesus already communicated it. If you can create the right soil. 
the right soil, the right environment, when that seed is planted, whoever plants it, then if you water it, if you dig round it, if you fertilize it, then discipleship happens. It happens. People grow, and it's God. God that causes that growth to come. And this is for us as individuals. Our discipleship, our relationship with God, and for us as a church. And we've got to ask ourselves the question, ask ourselves the question, the soil, the soil around us, how we live our lives, what we're growing in, what our roots are, are going down into. Look around yourself. Is it good soil? Is it good soil? Is it conducive to growth? Does it need turning? God is never fooled. He's never fooled by the, the soil up, what is seen on the surface. God is convinced by the soil down. What lies beneath? As far as we reach up, we've got to be investing down. And as a church, as a leadership, more than that, as a a community of faith, because we're all responsible for this, are we creating good soil? Good soil, good environments, places where God can cause the growth. And are we open? Are we responsive when God says to us as a church, turn the soil. So we've got that far. We've got soil-based discipleship. But then there is another connection here. A great story, a great story, but something of a, of a curve ball that we're going to throw in. No mention, no mention of soil here. Comes out of the Old Testament. So we're going to go back we're going to go back to the book of 1 Samuel and, and chapter 14. And the situation is this. There was deadlock, deadlock going on between Israel led by King Saul and their constant enemy, the, the Philistines. It says that Saul was staying on the outskirts of Gibeah under a, a pomegranate tree. And with him were about 600 men. Not great leadership, relaxing when there was a a battle to be had. Saul's son, Jonathan, had more about him than his father and was looking for a fight. So he called his armor bearer, suggested that they they go over to a a Philistine outpost. In 1 Samuel 14 verse 6, where we pick up the story, it says, Jonathan said to his young armor bearer, come, let's go over to the outpost of those uncircumcised fellows. Sounds very British, that. (laughs) Perhaps the, the Lord will act on our behalf. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. Do all that you have in mind, his armor bearer said. Go ahead, I am with you, heart and soul. I read that, and I'm thinking, Jonathan... Jonathan, you are going to risk your life and the life of another on the strength of a perhaps, perhaps, perhaps the Lord will act on our behalf. Maybe, probably. Who really knows? Isn't that somewhat vague for throwing yourself at 20 or more Philistine soldiers? But Jonathan, and this is important, Jonathan knew enough about God to act on it. 
Relaxing under a, a pomegranate tree wasn't an option. Success or failure didn't come into this. It was about the honor of the Lord. The story moves on. And they get within sight of the, the Philistines. And Jonathan had an idea. He, he set a test to see if God was really with them. And the test went like this. If the Philistines said, wait there, we will come to you. Then Jonathan and his armor barrier would stay where they were, not go up to them. If the Philistines said, come to us and we'll teach you a lesson, then that would be their sign that the Lord had given them into their hands. I'm not sure I should doubt Jonathan's leadership ability, but that doesn't seem the brightest idea to me. Either outcome to the test would leave them standing toe to toe with the Philistine soldiers. Even so, Jonathan and his armor bearer went for it. The Philistines called them up the hill and Jonathan routed them, killing some 20 men. And this attack started a a chain reaction. The Philistines panicked and Israel won the day. That is it. Three connections with the Bible. A parable part of a letter and a historic story. The question is, what does all that mean? And what can we learn? What can we do differently as a result? Now, as we talk this through, I don't want to be prescriptive here. I don't even want to complete it for you because I'm praying that God, through his spirit, will be specific. He will complete it in what he says to each of us. See, when I use the phrase, turn the soil, it may be that the Spirit will say to you, like he has to me, this is what I want you to do. This is the soil that needs turning over in your life. For me, there are six possibilities, six words that I want to speak into. And I'm going to move fast, at least for me. The words are deadness, Deadness, sameness, hidden treasure, growth, God's will, and immediacy. So let's stop now and pray and ask that the Spirit would move, would speak, would be specific to each of us. Let's close our eyes. God, I pray, through your Spirit, you would speak to us. And that phrase, which is a throwaway phrase, Lord, turn the soil. Lord, through your spirit, would be a word from you into our lives because you would show us what soil in our lives you want to turn now, today. Pray that in the name of Jesus. Amen. Firstly then, firstly, deadness, deadness. Sometimes in our our lives, we can be looking at the same earth for a long time, too long. And what's on that earth? Could it be disappointment from the past? Could it be hurt or, or bitterness or resentment? Could it be unforgiveness or, or sin in our lives that's stopping us from growing now and could God be saying it's time to turn the soil 
Now, I'm not much of a, a gardener, but I, I do know it does something when the soil is turned over. It breaks things up. It shakes things loose. It, it causes things to, to come to the surface. It exposes things in the earth that you want out. And it puts air in. Someone that could help us with that is a, a safe Christian friend. The grace box, the grace box there has, has moved now over there. When it first stood there, it did look like a big white confessional. Now that, that isn't our tradition, sitting with a priest, but sitting with another Christian and saying, this is going nowhere. I'm going nowhere. Can you help me break this? Help me turn the soil in my life. That is discipleship. That is our tradition. That is following Jesus. Health. Health rises from the ground up through the roots, but we've got to turn the soil. Be open so that God can breathe new life into us again. Secondly, there is sameness. Sameness. If you always do what you've always done, you always get what you've always got. Does our relationship with God feel like that? When it comes to sameness, turning the soil is about doing something differently. How do you communicate with God? Where do you communicate with God? Have you tried journaling, writing down your thoughts, your God conversations? Or go further, try some poetry or, or painting or, or sculpting. The God we worship thought of the giraffe and the anteater. He is an out-of-the-box creative God. And we're made in his image. Creativity is in all of us. We did it in play school with paints and Play-Doh. But we get so caught in sameness. Turn the soil. Let's get creative as we communicate with our creator. And in our reading, in our, our learning, is it Christian authors like John Ortberg and Jeff Lucas that we go for with engaging stories and, and life applications? Then turn the soil. Read a book by Tony Campolo or John Stott. Something that will expand our thinking and our understanding of God. Something that will engage us with justice issues or ethics or theology. Every so often I have some non-Christian input. I read a book or listen uh, to some music or go watch a, a film. I keep this motorway, this motorway of the Bible there. That authority that determines access. But I need that input. It turns the soil in my mind. It is great that encounter, encounter is back that is soil-based discipleship, creating the, the right environment for God to bring growth. I encountered Teach earlier this month. There was a session on homosexuality. And we could have come to that with a, a certain opinion and then listening to the teaching, connecting with the Bible, hearing the different sides to the argument. That opinion could have changed. The soil turned. Then, when I'm in church, do I always talk to the, the same people? Do I always sit in the, the same place? There may be reasons for that, but it could be. We need to turn the soil, talk to someone new, sit somewhere else, do something unexpected. Really? Really, I'm an introvert. I'm an introvert. I call myself a frustrated introvert now because for some reason, God thinks he can do more with me when I come out of my room. He's probably right. 
You laughed too loud there, Irish. <laughs> and now, and now I'm out. Now I'm out. And I keep asking, go back in, go, no. Now I'm out. I keep asking this question of my life. Do I only do things where I already know what the outcome will be? But that doesn't require faith. Turning the soil here means doing things where we don't know the outcome. We need to compete against sameness in our relationship with God, in our faith, because if we don't, we'll get bored. We'll become predictable. And each year when the answer comes, when the owner comes, when the owner comes to look at the fig tree, the fruit will dwindle to nothing. The next two are short. The next two are short. So thirdly, there is hidden treasure. In Matthew 13, verse 44, Jesus told this parable, he said, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy, went and sold all he had and bought that field. Great, great. That's unexpected. That's spontaneous. We can spend a a long time trying to work things out. And often that is right using strategy and informed judgment. But I think, I think the Holy Spirit can sometimes bypass all of that and say there is treasure in that field. Go buy it. Even though that field has got a lot of soil in it and we're going to get our hands dirty, turn in the soil. It's about the joy of finding buried treasure. And fourthly, fourthly, there is growth. Growth. In Mark 4, verse 28, Jesus told this parable, he said, This is what the kingdom of heaven is like. A man scatters seed on the ground night and day, whether he sleeps or or gets up, the the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. Or by itself, the soil produces corn, first the stalk, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. Let's keep this visual. So we've got the soil, we've got the, the stalk, we've got the ear and we've got the the full grain in the ear I'm sure that was worth doing (laughs) this is about commitment this is about commitment about being in it for the for the long haul faith grows inside of us over the years and it's God God that causes the growth we can't expect the corn when there is no stalk Fifthly, there is God's will. God's will. I was challenged recently reading a book by Francis Chan. It's called Crazy Love. And I was getting to the finish when Chan wrote this. He said, I think a lot of us need to forget about God's will for my life. God cares more about our response to his spirits leading today, in this moment, than about what we intend to do next year at first I thought I don't agree with that I don't agree with that but then I got what Chan was driving at getting so caught on God's will for our lives can leave us frozen not moving waiting you hear it sometimes if only I knew God's will for my life then I would give it my all and that is the attitude that Francis Chan was exposing it requires less of us to think about God's will for our future than it does to ask God what he wants us to do in the next 10 minutes. It is safer to commit to following him someday than this day. 
when Jonathan went looking for the Philistines. He wasn't asking what God's will was for next year. He was responding to what God was doing now. And he was going to take that hill. In my own life, and where I am at now, there has always been a, a certain vagueness, a vagueness about what God was doing, his will for my life. But I think I have known enough about God in each moment to know what to do next. It could seem reckless, reckless, but again, thinking about my own life, I don't think reckless is a word you would use. Sometimes I'm frustratingly British, reserved, logical, scientific. But like Jonathan, we need to go take a hill or two. And turning the soil could mean taking more risks with our faith. Finally, finally there is immediacy. It is a real word, a real word, defined as a state, condition, or, or quality of being immediate, being instant, without delay. If we go to the flip chart one final time, one final time, one of the most damaging things that has happened to our faith is what is called the secular to sacred divide. This line here, this divide here. It's where what we do in our faith, prayer, worship, church, the sacred acts where, where God is with us is divided from what we do in our lives, our homes, our families, our friendships, work, leisure, the secular acts where God could be excluded by us. I find myself praying often now that I could experience, that we could experience God in every minute of every day. No divide, the immediacy of God in every moment. Every moment made holy in an instant because of him. We're going to finish. We're going to finish with reading the Bible. What is the, the motorway for God communicating with us? And I want to read Matthew 6, starting in verse 25. I'm reading it in the, the message translation because I love the, the imagery, the words and the, the phrases that it uses. And what we could do, what we could do with this final connection with the Bible is try to diffuse it, make excuses for the simplicity of it, saying we're, we're only human. It isn't real life with the economy as it is, with the world as it is, with jobs and pensions and relationships, the stress and strain of it all. But why would we do that? This is God's word. This is the, the teaching of, of Jesus translated for greater understanding. Either we believe and live in the truth of it or we don't. So in response to God, let's read this through. Maybe close our eyes. Close our eyes. Open ourselves to the Spirit and let the Spirit turn the soil. If you decide for God, 
living a life of God worship. It follows that you don't fuss about what's on the table at mealtimes or whether the clothes in your closet are in fashion. There is far more to your life than the food you put in your stomach, more to your outer appearance than the clothes you hang on your body. Look at the birds, free and unfettered, not tied down to a job description, careless in the care of God. And you count far more to him than birds. Has anyone by fussing in front of the mirror even got taller by so much of an inch? All this time and money wasting on fashion. Do you think it makes that much difference? Instead of looking at the fashions, walk out into the fields and look at the wild flowers. They never primp or shop, but have you ever seen colour and design quite like it? The ten best dressed men and women in the country look shabby alongside them. If God gives such attention to the appearance of wildflowers, most of which are never even seen, don't you think he'll attend to you, take pride in you, do his best for you? What I'm trying to do here is to get you to relax, to not be so preoccupied with getting, so you can respond to God's giving. People who don't know God and the way he works fuss over these things, but you know both God and how he works. Steep. Steep your life in God reality, God initiative, God provisions. Don't worry about missing out. You'll find all your everyday human concerns will be met. Give your entire attention to what God is doing right now and don't get worked up about what may or may not happen tomorrow. God will help you deal with whatever hard things come up when the time comes. God, I pray for each of us, you would be specific as you speak into our lives. Lord, you would turn the soil. You would show us where, when, what, how, who with. You would show us what soil needs turning and God we would do it we would do it as soon as we can we wouldn't be asking so much about God's will for the future but we'd be responding to what you're doing right now in our lives God speak to us pray that in your name Lord Jesus Amen.